13. Hebrews chapter 13. I'd like to uh, read the, uh, the first 21 verses, but we're going to focus really on one verse mainly uh, tonight, verse 17, uh, secondarily verse 7 as well, but um, keep your thumb there. We will be turning to a few other passages tonight, but our main focus will be on Hebrews 13, verse 17. This is God's holy word. Let's listen carefully as it's read. The writer to the Hebrews begins in this way. He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And now our preaching text for this morning, or this evening. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, this morning I asked a couple different questions for you to think about as sort of a, uh, a lead-in to uh, the sermon on Ephesians chapter 2. I asked you, uh, what have you been saved from? What have you been saved for? Another related question that we certainly could ask one another is this. How will people know that we are Christians? 
How will people know that we are saved, that we belong to God, that we are members of His church? Our Lord Jesus uh, taught us about the answer to that question. He said to His disciples in John 13, He said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As the outside world looks in to the church, that is how, Jesus says, they will know what it means to be saved, to be a Christian. They will see the saints loving one another. And that's a major concern of the book of Hebrews. The one who writes to the Hebrew Christians uh, here in, in chapter 13 is giving them some final instructions, some moral exhortations for how to live together in the church. And he reflects Jesus' teaching when he says that, that all relationships in the church should be marked by love, brotherly love, love among the saints is the fruit of faith. It's the evidence of the Spirit's work uh, it's a defining feature in the life of the church. And we, we find a couple uh, descriptions of what that love should look like here, right at the beginning of the chapter. In verse 2, he says, uh, show hospitality. Show hospitality to strangers and then certainly those of the church as well. He says, remember those who are in prison as if you were there with them. He says, there should be love within the marriage and marriage must be kept pure. He says, don't love money, but be content among yourselves. That too is an expression of love for God and one another. So, we're, we typically think of love within the church along those lines, caring for one another, being kind to one another, looking to each other's needs above our own. But sometimes we forget that there is another way that we witness to the outside world in showing love. And that's the main point that we're going to look at tonight, and that is this. It is Spirit-created love within the church that should cause each and every one of us to love and remember and submit to the leaders of the church. We don't often think about that, do we? We don't think about the fact that the outside world looking in is, is asking, how do they submit to those who are in charge? How do they treat those in authority? There, too, is a relationship that must be characterized by love and submission for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it's that same love, the writer goes on to say, that motivates our leaders to keep watch over the soul's of the congregation as under-shepherds of Jesus Christ, who he says is the great shepherd of the sheep. So tonight we're going to look at God's Word as it instructs us about the kind of relationship that is best going to serve our congregation here at First Chino. What is going to serve the unity of the church, the health of the church, the faithfulness, the growth of our church and all churches around the globe? A commitment to a relationship marked by love and submission to those whom Christ has placed in authority over us. Notice with me, first of all, the Christian's willing submission. The writer to the Hebrew Christians begins in verse 17 with a very straightforward command. It's, it's, it's not ambiguous. It's very clear. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. 
And in our modern American culture, that seems like a very difficult and unpopular command, doesn't it? The prevailing spirit in America today is self-determination, self-promotion, not submission to the will of someone else. We're told today that the defining virtue of an American is to be yourself, do as you please, don't let anyone put limits on your individuality. In our society, the self is preeminent. Obey your leaders and submit to them? How culturally out of touch. And that's exactly what we need to acknowledge, that God's will for His church is diametrically opposed to the will uh, and the spirit of this world, and it ought to be. And so the writer instructs us, obey and submit to your leaders. He doesn't tell us exactly who those leaders are here in this chapter, but it seems clear from the overall context that he's speaking specifically about the overseers of the church, also known as elders, and the preachers of the congregation. It's not to downplay the work of deacons, but we know from the rest of Scripture that it is elders in particular, pastors secondarily who have been given the authority to give spiritual rule or oversight in the congregation. And that's the way God has always cared for His church throughout all of history. Under the Old Covenant, God ruled and instructed and cared for His people through various offices and those who filled those offices, prophets, priests, and kings in particular. Today, reflecting the new covenant ministry of Jesus, God continues to rule His church, but He does it through spirit-controlled men who hold the offices of elder and deacon. Uh, That's taught so clearly in Ephesians. We're told that God gave, that is Jesus, the ascended Lord, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The writer to the Hebrews says, our ascended Lord continues to rule His church. He continues to govern His church and to protect His flock, to instruct His flock, and He does that from heaven through the offices and those who hold them. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is that these men who've been appointed to these roles of elder and, and, and preacher are, are gifts from Christ to you for your spiritual good. God rules you through His under-shepherds. They serve directly under Jesus, their master. And what that means for us is this that our obedience, our submission to them is not ultimately to men, but to God. When your elders set the direction for this church, when they call you to worship twice a Sunday, when they exercise spiritual discipline to restore sinners into the church, what are they doing? Are they simply exercising their own authority, their own opinion? No, they're doing God's work under His authority. When your ministers preach the Word, when they teach it, when He he admonishes you and rebukes you and and, and exhorts you, he's, He's not simply expressing His opinion. He's doing God's work with His authority. And that is why you must obey 
and love and submit to them. But what should that submission, what should that obedience look like in the church? The writer to the Hebrews says specifically it, it should be a willing submission. If you look again at verse 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And then later on he says, let them uh, do this without groaning on your, your, uh, on your part, for that would be no advantage to you. Uh, this is a willing submission. This is a happy, joyful submission. When your elders, when your pastors serve in a faithful, dedicated way, proving that Christ has appointed them to their role, uh, then he, they are worthy of your support. They're worthy of your obedience. They're worthy of your imitation. They're worthy of your joyful submission. The writer to the Hebrews does not say, obey your leaders willingly and joyfully so long as you agree with them, or only when their decisions seem right to you. There are no qualifications. The Spirit of God has placed these men here to teach, to exhort, to instruct, and to rule. God has decided in His infinite wisdom to place a chain of command in the church. Someone once wrote this, Everyone who serves in the armed forces recognizes it is important, vitally important, for the chain of command to be obeyed. Our military would be ineffective if privates could ignore sergeants or tell generals what to do. Similarly, God's chain of command within the church must be followed. In fact, only if God's will is followed can the church, our church, or any church, enjoy the blessed peace and harmony and mutual love that God wants for His flock. Otherwise, the church is left open to the attacks of Satan. There's another reason here that willing submission to your leaders is required. In 17b, we read this, we should submit so that our leaders might rule and teach with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. When members of the congregation are stubborn and rebellious and hard-hearted and critical, it can rob your leaders of joy in ministry. Church members who rebel against their appointed leaders, instead of being teachable, instead of being grateful, are a source of tremendous grief, not just to ministers and elders, but especially to the Lord. When we lack a teachable, patient, submissive spirit toward our leaders, that rebellion, we must understand, is first of all against the Lord because He's the one who has given us these men as a gift to the church. But notice, such lack of submission also hurts believers. Believers get hurt when they decide not to follow God's blessed pattern for the church, John Calvin writes, it's unprofitable, it's harmful to God's people to cause sorrow and mourning to their pastors by their ingratitude. Indeed, we cannot be troublesome or disobedient to our pastors without hazarding our own salvation. On the other hand, obedience, willing submission brings joy to the Christian. It brings joy to the minister, to the elder, to the whole church when God's will for His flock 
is followed willingly and joyfully. There is an abundance of grace and unity and peace and fellowship in the church. So pray for your leaders. Pray for teachable minds. Pray for a humble submission to the will of Christ so that the gospel ministry might be effective, that the church might flourish and grow. Well, you might be thinking in your minds, well, pastor, you've been picking on the congregation for quite a while now. What about our leaders? Don't they need to be admonished as well? And my answer to your question is absolutely, absolutely. As under-shepherds of Christ, your leaders serve under Christ as your overseers and teachers. They bear Christ's authority, but they are also required to rule and to serve for Christ in a certain kind of way. They can't rule however they want, on a whim, or driven by emotion. They ought to take their God-given task as under-shepherds of Jesus very seriously. And we see that reflected here in Hebrews. The writer tells the congregation that their leaders are to keep watch over your souls. That's their primary task as leaders in the church, to keep watch over the souls of those in the church. It's their calling from Christ to routinely lose sleep over their work, to lose sleep over the spiritual well-being of the sheep under their fold. They are, they are guards. They are sentinels keeping close watch over the city gates to spot intruders. The leaders of the church must stand guard without falling asleep with the sword of God's Word in their hand so that they can they can defeat the wolves of error and look out for and destroy the lions of impurity that might prey on the flock. Faithful leaders, the writer says, are watchmen on whom there is great, great responsibility to speak the truth, to guard the truth. And God had commissioned uh, leaders and, and preachers and prophets throughout the Old Testament and impressed upon them as well the importance of being faithful in their task. We think of Ezekiel, for example. God commissioned him to be a watchman over Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 3, we read as much. Ezekiel is told, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. God has given them the direct task of, of conveying His Word to His people. And were Ezekiel to fail at doing that, at delivering God's Word, at delivering God's warnings for the people, he himself would be judged. The very next verse we read, that if you say to the wicked, you shall surely die and give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. The wicked person shall die for his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. Ezekiel would be held accountable for failing to preach the word and the warning of God to those inside and outside the church. And that warning to God's leaders in the church echoes throughout the book of Hebrews as well. We read that those who watch over your souls will have to give an account. They'll have to give a report of how well they did in their 
official duty. In the last day, Reverend E. Meyer and I will have to answer for the work that we have done as ministers of Christ. The elders of this congregation will have to answer for how well they ruled this congregation. Did we fulfill our tasks as under-shepherds by genuinely caring for the needs of this church? Did we nurture you spiritually through faithfully preaching and teaching the Word? Did we minister to the sick and the troubled? Did we visit you in your homes? Did we make our own homes and offices places for rich fellowship and the communion of the saints? We will have to answer for that. Were we vigilant to stave off the attacks of the evil one? Did we administer discipline when wickedness and impurity crept into the fold? The task of your leaders is sometimes dangerous often burdensome, and it comes with great accountability to Christ Himself. There is before the leaders of this church a very challenging charge, and it's a charge I'd like you to notice that's reflected in the instructions of Peter in his first letter. If you have your Bibles in front of you, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you are currently serving as an elder of this congregation, if that is something that you desire, I encourage you to listen to what Peter says here especially. This is the challenge, this is the task, the responsibility that lies before those who would be leaders in the church. The first thing Peter says is, if you would serve, you must be a joyful servant, not a tyrant. Look at verses 2 through 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. If you would serve leaders of the church, you must rule humbly in a self-sacrificing way, giving up your time, giving up your energy, giving up your comforts and convenience for the sake of Jesus' flock. Second, we're told leaders must exercise their humility, their offices with humility, not pride. Look at verse 5 here. He says this to all the members of the church, especially those who are serving to be subject and clothe themselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We must rule not as power-hungry dictators but joyful, humble leaders. And finally, your leaders, Peter says, must be vigilant. They must be on the alert constantly rather than becoming complacent or apathetic or lazy about the needs and troubles of the flock. Look at verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by their brotherhood throughout the world. Be sober-minded, be aware, be alert, be ready, be vigilant. Your leaders must keep watch against error and false teaching, against temptation and sin, and not grow tired. 
in fulfilling their office to the honor and glory of Christ. You see, your leader's responsibility is great. Much responsibility and with much at stake. Brothers and sisters, when your leaders fulfill their task well, when they are faithful, when they fulfill it to the best of their ability, sinners as they are, they are worthy of your honor. They are worthy of your respect. They are worthy of your support and your submission and your love. Again, John Calvin says, the heavier the burden they bear, they are worthy of more honor and respect. For the more labor one undertakes for our sake and the more difficulty and danger he incurs for us, the greater are our obligations to him. So pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, your pastors, your deacons as well as they undertake this most joyful task and yet most serious task as under-shepherds of Jesus Christ. But finally and briefly, I want you to know and the text tells us this as well, that your ministers, your elders, will most certainly fall short of this lofty calling that God has given to them. They will grow weary in the long watches of the night. They will struggle at times to make decisions that are pleasing to God. They will and have become discouraged with the burden of leadership, and they are fallible men to a person. But notice the primary reason why you must still obey them, why you must still seek to follow their example. Look at me at verses 7 through 8 of Hebrews 13. The writer says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What is the reason ultimately for our submission and our imitation? It's verse 8, Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We must submit to, we must seek to imitate our leaders because they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who does not change. Our leaders are worthy of our submission because they serve Christ, who never grows weary in the watches of the night, who never leaves never forsakes His church, who is the great shepherd of His sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus is the greatest. He's the most faithful shepherd of the church. And that's the whole theme of Hebrews. If you've read it recently, you know that. that Jesus is better. That's the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is better. He's the greatest. He's better than all the Old Testament sacrifices for sin. And when He suffered for us outside the camp on the cross of Calvary, He actually did what the law could not do. He put an end to our sin. He defeated it. He removed our judgment. He justified us and is sanctifying us as a people for Himself. Jesus is better than all the Old Testament sacrifices and office bearers because He fulfilled the prophet's priest and kingly role perfectly. And He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our obedience because He cares for us so completely that we can be assured that He will equip you with everything that you need to live for Him. Jesus is better, 
And He's the greatest shepherd of the sheep because He never changes. He is eternally trustworthy as our shepherd of the sheep. And He is the same yesterday when He created the world. Today, through His saving work on our behalf and forever, as He reigns from heaven and intercedes for us as His precious people. And so, believers, entrust yourself to this great shepherd. He's given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. He has given you your leaders as under-shepherds to rule and to instruct and guard and protect this congregation for Christ's sake. In the same way, leaders, entrust yourself to this great shepherd. He is the one who equips you for ministry. Despite all of your weaknesses, your inadequacies, your inconsistencies, and as you remain faithful servants and understudies of your great shepherd, he will certainly provide all that you need to lead and to instruct this precious flock. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that after ascending to heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ did not cease to guide and protect and direct His flock, but appointed qualified, Spirit-filled, wise men to oversee and to teach and to preach. We thank You that You have done this because You love Your church. You care for her. You want her to grow and flourish in, in the truth. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, we would willingly, joyfully submit to those whom You have placed in authority over us, not so much uh, for their sakes, but for the sake of Christ who has appointed them. And Lord, help us to submit to them and obey them and speak well of them for Christ's sake, because they are worthy of honor and respect if they fulfill their task well. Lord, we pray for the leaders of this congregation who do sometimes silently and without the knowledge of the rest of the congregation bear many burdens burdens that they carry home with them, burdens that keep them up at night, burdens on top of the burdens they already face as husbands and fathers and grandfathers. Lord, please sustain them in their work. Give them wisdom to decide biblically. Give them fortitude to remain well and strong in the midst of the trials that they face. And Lord, may they rule faithfully with diligence, with zeal, with a commitment to Your people. And Lord, we thank You that even when we fail at submitting and when we fail at leading, that we have one who has gone before us and has perfectly submitted to His heavenly Father and now rules over us perfectly, and we look to Him, the great shepherd of the sheep. We find our strength, we find our assurance, we find our ability in Him alone. We thank You for His faithful, tender care. We look forward to the day when He will return in victory and in power to vindicate His church and to take her home to be with Him in glory. We wait for that day in hope, in faith, and in love. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's uh, sing that wonderful hymn, again rejoicing in God's love for His church, the church's one foundation, number 404.
We'll sing the first and the last of that song, stanzas one and four, as we stand to sing number 404, The Church's One Foundation. Dear friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, go forth now into the world to serve Christ, your risen and reigning Lord, with this blessing from His hand. The love of God and the grace of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.